Welcome to the Vital Voices podcast, Power to Empower series. 2020 was supposed to be the start of a bold new decade. Instead, unprecedented global crises have radically shifted our reality and have put the life and death consequences of good leadership on display. Time and time again, we've seen that women leaders stand strong in the face of challenges. Women are stepping forward with creativity, compassion, using their courage to encourage others, their bold ideas to embolden communities, and their voices, positions, and power to empower us all. That's why we're celebrating their power, potential, and purpose. In our new book, Vital Voices, 100 Women Using Their Power to Empower, and bringing their stories to life on this podcast. In this series, we're speaking with women leaders about their journeys, their lessons learned along the way, and their thoughts on leadership and the path forward. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Elise Nelson. Today, it's my honor to sit down with Christine Lagarde, a personal hero of mine. She's president of the European Central Bank, the bank of the 19 European Union countries which have adopted the euro. As president, she is charged with maintaining price stability in the euro area and thereby preserving the purchasing power of a single currency. No small task, certainly, as this is Brexit, the global pandemic, and ongoing systemic challenges. Christine Lagarde is also one of the 100 women leaders featured in our latest book, Vital Voices, 100 Women Using Their Power to Empower. So I'm so humbled to have the opportunity to sit down with you, Madam President, and discuss your leadership journey and really thoughts on the future. Uh, so thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure. I'd love to begin by just speaking about your career experience. Obviously, you're not only a lawyer, but really rose uh, through the ranks in global finance, which is obviously typically a very male-dominated field, and then went on to become the first female uh, finance minister for a G8 country, and then, of course, uh, the first woman to lead the IMF, the International Monetary Fund. Um, and, of course, that was during the financial crisis, uh, no less, so quite difficult. I would imagine that sort of being the first in all of these uh, various institutions, the first woman, did you find it more difficult to be, as you are, this incredible champion for the value that women bring to the economy? How did you sort of balance that? Alice, I think you're right that it's an additional challenge uh, to, to, to be the first. I mean, it's, it's hard enough to do those jobs, whether you're a man or a woman. Uh, but if you are the first woman doing it, you can't help um, feeling an additional burden that is caused by expectations of your, uh, your sisters, uh, your colleagues, other women around that actually support you in the main and that you do not want to let down. So this, this sort of added responsibility is clearly an additional burden. But it's also the reason why on some occasions uh, I resisted the temptation to say, you know, forget it. Why should I bother? Mm. I've got better things to do. I'm not going to finish my term or I'm not going to complete that job. I'm going to, I've got better things to do, easier things to do. And I think that feeling that expectations out there and, and, and the burden that you have of showing colleagues and friends that yes, a woman can do the job too, can finish uh, uh, the term and can do the mandate. Um, so it's, it's twofold. 
it's additional burden, it's, it's an incentive as well. Mm. Obviously your career is um, admirable. Um, it's an inspiration. You've broken through so many barriers, as I, as I mentioned and you mentioned. Was this the path you had anticipated? Was this what no. you sort of, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> what, has, what has surprised you most about some of the roles that you have played? You know, what surprised me most is that quite often I was um, drafted where I was not expected. Let me, let me just give you an example. Um, there I am, uh, a practicing attorney working at Baker McKenzie, enjoying the, the client work, enjoying the lawyer's uh, job, and, and gradually doing a bit more management here and there and essentially based out of my home country, which is France. Baker McKenzie is this large international Chicago-based firm, which has always um, valued diversity, but still is strongly American-dominated and male-dominated. Mm. You know, I, why on earth would they come and ask a French woman lawyer to become the chairman of the, of the, of the firm? It's... it's that, that has surprised me over the course of my, of my career and my life. It's that I was drafted for jobs that I was not expected uh, to, to fill in. Mm -hmm. And what's been your sort of calculus in deciding um, on your career path? So, for example, one of the things we talk about a lot at Vital Voices is this idea of a driving force, that sort of true north. So for me, you know, it's, it's you know, always finding opportunities to use my power, whatever that power is to empower others. And it's led me to 23 years working at Vital Voices with women around the world, you know, who are leading extraordinary change. Is there something that you feel like has been your true north throughout your career that's something that really helps you, you know, decide, okay, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take on that huge role, even though I know it's gonna be difficult. I think it's a bit of the, um... I dare you. Uh, <laughs> and it, it follows from what I was saying earlier on. I'm not, I'm not expected there, and yet luck has it, uh, drafting has it, uh, circumstances cause it, um, and it's I dare you. Mm. I think daring the difference, taking the risks, um, is, are two things that have, have guided me. Uh, along the way, and I think that's you know the confidence that I was given earlier on by 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 women around me. Uh, my mother was a very very strong driving force in my life, and had to face a lot of hardship herself. Mm. I think that has equipped me a little bit with, I dare you. Yes, well, let's let's try. Mm. So obviously, being a woman in so many of these um, male-dominated fields, do you feel like your presence, just as a woman, has changed? culture, behavior, the way that people think about who can hold these roles? I would hope so. Mm -hmm. I think it has definitely changed the way in which uh, issues are addressed, the way in which people relate to each other. I think that a diverse environment uh, precipitates that and requires it. I think the language used by people presenting, arguing, making decisions has been different and the level of respect towards each other has, has also been different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it's like when I'm not in the room. It, it might revert to the old ways of doing things and cracking the bad jokes. But in, I think in my presence, it, it was not the case. 
Mm. So in what ways do you think that you as a woman lead differently? Do you think you lead differently than your male counterparts? It, you know, it's hard to, to, to draw general statements, but what I have observed in the environment where I have um, operated, whether it's in the, in the legal profession where I was for, you know, 25 years, uh, in government, in international institutions, I think that I brought um, something which I've not always seen my male counterparts practice, which is the art of listening. Mm. And, and respecting views. And yes, at times I can get frustrated and I bite my, my tongue and I grit my teeth and I, I, I know that I have to go through that listening moment, even though sometimes it doesn't make any sense or it's not on topic or, but out of respect for the person who participates, I will go through that phase. Mm -hmm. Unlike quite a few of my counterparts or those that I know well. Yeah. So obviously the world is facing a global pandemic with COVID-19. Can you discuss the ways that you've really had to mobilize the European Central Bank um, to ensure the EU's economy remains stable or as stable as possible? Uh, I'd say fast, fast and flexible. Those were the two, the three Fs that I, I really um, used as my compass in order to put together packages that would actually fuel liquidity into the system. And uh, second, um, stabilize the markets that were very, very unsettled and very disrupted. So that sort of fat, fast and flexible were the, the three parameters, the three uh, compasses that I used. And I think that given the urgency of the matter and the fact that it was so brutal and so sudden, uh, I, I also managed to instill in my governing council members, who are all governors of central banks around the region, a sense of urgency and, uh, and determination that we just had to respond and we had to be, as I said, fat, a really big bazooka, fast, like overnight, and flexible, you know, without the constraints and the, the limitations that applied to previous instruments. Mm. Obviously, leadership's on display like it's never been before, whether it be large, you know, multilateral institutions or countries or, or corporations. How, what, what has this pandemic taught you about leadership, either your own leadership or just the fact that, you know, no leader can hide, right? I mean, right now, good leadership is more important than ever. I think it, it, has, it has taught me uh, a degree of uh, humility because, you know, I've, I've been through the great financial crisis, I've been through the European sovereign debt crisis, and now we're going through this COVID crisis. In the previous two, you could assume, and maybe it was excessive, but you could assume that you, 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 you knew where the roots were you knew how to address it, you knew the policies that should be put in place, you had to rally support and you had to move on with that. In this particular situation, it's a combination of a major sanitary and health crisis and an economic crisis. And the two sort of come together. On the economic front, we pretty much know what policies should be applied and what stopgap and what uh, floor we have to put under the economies. But on the sanitary and health front, 
we are, you know, hopeless. Mm -hmm. Because, because we don't have the vaccines, because we don't have the therapy, because we don't really understand the contamination and the propagation of this virus. So I think it has taught all of us humility and, and the necessity to actually go back to pretty middle-age formula to protect our population against the, this virus, which is you know, this lockdown isolation uh, that we had to practice back in March, April and a little bit of May. Uh, so humility certainly was was a big a big one to take. Mm. And obviously, we don't see all leaders being very humble in the face of in the face of this pandemic. Um, so, you know, as you think about uh, the road ahead, and particularly, I know you have always been such an advocate, uh, really using your platform, your power, your voice, wherever you are. To, to talk about the importance of women and women's economic empowerment. And I know you do that because you, you, you've seen the data and it makes good economic sense. Mm. But I wonder as you, as you look ahead, and I know the World Economic Forum, although these are numbers that are pre-COVID, so it's probably gotten worse, as we know the gender gap is, is widening during this time. And we've certainly felt that heavily in the United States, and I know that's being felt around the world. But if you think about how the gender gap in terms of economic opportunity for women is 257 years away, or at least that's what it was last year, pre-COVID, mm. according to the World Economic Forum, what do you think needs to be done as we, as we hopefully will come out of this pandemic um, and people will get back to work? What do you think needs to, do, to be done to begin to close that gender gap again and, and, and stop it from, from widening as it has been over the last number of months? You know, I'm, I feel that I'm not going to give you any, any magic clues uh, as to how we close the gap. I think it starts with um, education of girls by all means and in all countries around the world. Uh, when I, you know, when I was head of the IMF, watching the, 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 the education gap between young boys and young girls in low-income countries and in emerging market economies was just horrifying. So I think that that's number one, focus on the education of girls. I know that in our advanced economies, we talk about STEM and the fact that girls have to move more into those fields than, the, than they do. I think it's, it's that, you know, for advanced economies, it would be on that front that education has to be uh, to be to be supported, and I would say you also need to have the legal uh, framework on which to fight for your right, and and it's not in all countries that there is equality, and that there is uh, equal access to jobs, and that there is uh, equal rights between men and women. So to have education for the young ones, a legal framework on which to you know rely when you want to fight for the rights, and then find alliances with those that understand the challenge and the, the reward if we address that properly, uh, which is, you know, improved productivity, uh, better uh, growth of our economies, a more balanced uh, and a better equilibrium of our economies if they grow, bringing together men and women in a much more equal way. So I, I would say all, all, all three critically important. Mm. So you very graciously agreed to be part of this book. You were nominated by women leaders across our network to be one of these hundred women who's really using their power to empower. Can you talk about how you think about that? How you use your platform, your voice to empower others, the issues you care about, bring other women along? How, how do you think about that? 
I think it's it's superbly important. And you know, I'm I'm always blessed with reference to me being the first in this, the first in this, the first in that. And 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 yes, I take some pride in it because I paid the price. But what matters most for me is that there is a second after me. And I'm so pleased that there is a second female managing director at the IMF, that there is now finally a second female finance minister in one of the G7 countries. And, uh, you know, whether there is um, another female head of Baker McKenzie one day uh, is to be seen, but I hope it will be seen. And I certainly hope that having now brought a second woman on the uh, executive board of the uh, European Central Bank, there will be another after me that uh, is also president of this institution. Um, so, leading the way, pushing the, uh, the, 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 the glass walls and ceilings and making sure that there is space for somebody uh, who, you know, is going to do an even better job than me is, is something that I, I long for and that I'm, I'm really proud of. So just one last question, because I know you have a very busy schedule and I want you to get back to that important work. Um, what advice do you have for, you know, women, younger women, you know, people who are on their path who, who really look up to you and think, wow, you know, not only does she have this incredibly difficult position, but she never misses that opportunity to, to talk about the importance of other women and bring other women along and be such an extraordinary example. You know, I, I'm sure everyone puts you on a pedestal, quite frankly. I would say, uh, I'd say, first of all, dare the difference. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is we, we feel um, different, we act differently, we speak in a different way, and there is no reason ever to be ashamed of that. So there the difference in whichever circumstances and situation you're in. It's completely legitimate and it's desirable and it's good for the group and it's good for you. So there the difference is number one. I'd say, but that has worked for me because, um, because I think I was equipped with, with, with naivety and, and a lot of love around me. But I would say, take risks. Don't, don't always uh, calculate, anticipate, weigh, you know, weigh the pros and cons and the benefits and the downsides. Now and again, just if it feels like it's right for you, go for it. Take the risk and then have no regrets. If you completely make a mess of it, that's okay. No regret. Move on. Take another risk and learn. Mm. That's phenomenal advice. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us, Madam President. It's been a real honor for me. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this special edition of the Vital Voices podcast. If you'd like to support our work with women leaders who use their power to empower others, you can donate to Vital Voices on our website at vitalvoices.org. Or you can text VITAL to 41444. That's VITAL to 41444. See you next week. <laughs>